You're listening to Borderline Idealists. Join us every other Sunday for new episodes where we focus on anxiety, depression, and BPD. Log on to BorderlineIdealist.com for past episodes, blog posts, and our Patreon link to support us. Together, we can give a voice to those who suffer from mental illness and tear down mental health stigma. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Borderline Idealist. This is AJ. And this is Chris. And this episode, we have a special guest with us, I guess. <laughs> oh, I thought that you were yeah. going to introduce okay. Allie. Okay, uh, look, it's no. Allie. It's my friend Allie. We talk on Discord all the time, and Chris doesn't even know her. So, oh, wow. um, <laughs> Allie is uh, 54 years old. She lives in Wisconsin. Uh, she likes to play volleyball. Um, and bingo with her friends, and uh, she also likes to jog, and Ali, would you like to say some more stuff about yourself? You only got the jogging and the volleyball part, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know you very well, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm 24, and I actually enjoy a lot of arts and crafts. Arts is kind of my main thing right now. Uh, And AJ and Chris invited me on today to talk about sexual trauma. Uh, It's something I've experienced. Um, Before I begin, I do want to give everyone uh, who's listening a trigger warning for that. Like, I will bring up my personal experiences, but I'm not going to go into to what happened in the past to me. Uh, I will be talking about past, future, and pre- present. Um, it will, there will be happy and there will be sad. Uh, so there's your trigger warnings. Uh, and at the end, I will give resources for people to reach out to as well. So Allie um, also is diagnosed with BPD. So that's that's also another, another angle. Um, and Ali, can you tell us a little bit more about, I guess, your your uh, mental health um, diagnosis, diagnoses, diagnoses? Yeah, so the first uh, mental health issue I ever struggled with, and of course still struggle with, uh, it's depression. Uh, then one of the other biggest things that I was diagnosed with and still struggle with is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Uh, The next biggest thing that I was diagnosed with and still struggle with is cyclothymia. It's a mood disorder very commonly seen among people with borderline personality disorder and PTSD. Mm. And after cyclothymia, I was also, I was diagnosed with BPD in 2017. Uh, The cyclothymia diagnosis came in 2014. So, and I also have an eating, two different eating disorder diagnoses. Uh, I've been to eating disorder treatment. My eating is a lot more regular now. Um, I dealt with restrictive eating and fasting and some over exercising and I was diagnosed mainly with something called other specified feeding and eating disorders, OSED for short, O-S-S-E-D. 
So kind of gray area where you take from all of the other well-known eating disorders, like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, orthorexia, everything. Hmm. So it's just is kind of a combination of, um, I guess, those eating disorders, or it's the definition of, of one of those eating disorders, but not quite? But that's yeah, why it's, like, so unspecified? It's where you don't meet full-on criteria for something like, um, say, I guess, like, I was hearing criteria for bulimia nervosa. Mm. But because I would still, I wouldn't always do the purge after eating. Uh, And I would fast, so I was really taking that element from anorexia nervosa, which is all harmful for your body. But then sometimes I would eat in excessive amount, therefore I was taking that kind of aspect from binge, or I was counting calories and over-exercising and making sure I intook essentially negative calories per day, taking from something called orthorexia. Uh, I was true counting. Again, that tends to be an orthorexia thing. Uh, and it was all coupled kind of around the trauma I had. So it was all of these things. It, it was like I had one or two bullet points from each one, but not enough bullet points for one to be diagnosed specifically with one. The closest where I got like super specific was um, where I was getting closest to bulimia nervosa is what I was told. Um, And that was when I was in eating disorder treatment. I graduated to eating disorder treatment in mid-October or early November of last year, one of the two. Um, and I've been doing much better. It relapsed as part of recovery, but I've been doing better and I've been healing through art in like so many different ways, whether it be from the eating disorder or the sexual trauma or even just like anger with people throughout the day or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've- um, I've seen some of your creations on our um, Discord channel, and I love. I mean, <laughs> I was telling Chris like I feel like I I um, doodle something like every day, and I feel like you're kind of like the same way. Like you you probably can't help yourself from like doing art. Do you feel like you just you just like have to do it? <laughs> oh yeah, if I go a day without like um, sketching something like or adding to a sketch, or outlining, um, I'm like, what am I, what did I do with my day? My day wasn't ready. Uh, because what I used to do, was I used to just coloring, coloring books. And now it was like gaining that confidence to really kind of take off and sketch on my own. Um, but I'm really self-critical, and so what I put out there, I usually put out in kind of like a caterpillar process, if you will. You know, I start from where I was with the pencil, with a couple of lines, and I'm like, work in progress. That way, it's the people who think it looks shitty, because I think it looks shitty. (laughs) (laughs) If they know it's a work in progress, they're like, oh, it'll get better. (laughs) (laughs) And then it can be 
done. And I can, they can to get the work in progress. And I'm like, yeah, sure, it's done. That's why I just doodle. It's a work in progress. <laughs> that's why I doodle, because it just looks like a work in progress. It just, you know, it's imperfect, and that's okay. Um, but I, I, oh, I, I did want to, I, I think that most uh, of our listeners will understand, you know, depression um, and the PTSD a little bit. Um, of course, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But um, okay, the psi uh, um okay, the mood disorder. <laughs> um, can you say that for me again? Um, the cyclocyemia. Cyclo. Cyclo. Cyemia. Is yeah, that cyclocyemia. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that um, you said it's something that uh, that people with BPD are are also. So yeah, with? I think it's like how it's phrased in the DSM. And again, don't quote me for this. I'm not a psychologist, and I read this so long ago. Uh, <laughs> was that cyclothiamia left untreated can morph into borderline personality disorder. And cyclothiamia is not uncommon to be found amongst biological siblings where one of the siblings has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And my older sister has bipolar disorder, and I don't know if it's one or two. Um, and so it was after kind of reading that and learning that, I was like, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it's like less than 2% of the population. And it describes a fair amount of the same characteristics that BPD does, mood swings, um, in- impulsivity, uh very like I guess it's like I get the best way to describe it would be your like the BPD paranoia part meets depression hmm. and that's kind of like the to the best of my memory what cyclothania is from the textbook definition um, I do know the code for it, which is the IDCM10 code. <laughs> <That's my laughs> I don't know why this number stuck with me, but it's F34 if anyone wants to look up more information on it. Uh, I did a 5K for the first time in on May 18th of 2019, did my first 5K, and on my shirt, I wrote all the diagnoses I had, the IDC-10 codes, and so I had to, like, look at all these IDC-10 codes, and so F34 was one of them. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I know all the IDC-10 codes. <laughs> wow. I didn't study psychology. So, um, the... I was uh, looking up the... Oh, gosh. Cyclo... Dymia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's C Y L O P H E M I A. 
cyclopania something like that i wasn't even thinking cycle i was thinking like psi for some reason like p s y um but it's this is as characterized by numerous altering short cycles of hyper hypo um mania and depressive uh periods like symptoms those of manic and major depressive episodes, but of lesser severity. So it's it's like BPD or being bipolar, maybe, but um, but less severe. <laughs> Is that what it's like? Yeah, yeah. And I honestly, I didn't know I was diagnosed with it until mm. I read some charts of mine, and by that time, I had already been diagnosed with BPD. And so I was working on that, and I was working on staying in school, and I was actually already survived, like, the sexual assault that you guys know about, um, and so I was working through all of that, and I was more, I was like, huh, I didn't know I'd been diagnosed with that. So I looked it up, and that's the only reason I know I have it, or at least it was in my chart at one point. Yeah. But... So, yeah, things are, it's weird. I requested my patient record once, and that's what I got. So, I want to take you back, Allie. I, I want to take you back to your birth, when when you were first born. Okay, not that, not, not that far back. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, I... Uh, I'd like you to maybe think back to your past, uh, maybe uh, growing up, um, or I guess just just your past in general. Um, can you tell us maybe when you started to notice these uh, that things were different for you? I, I would say I think that um, it looks like a, a lot of um, a lot of these things have to do, do with your emotions and the way I recognize things where people were telling me I was reacting in the wrong way or, or I just kind of, um, I guess I, I look at other people and feel like I'm reacting the wrong way. But um, can you tell us about, you know, when this realization about your mental state started and how that journey to where you are now? <laughs> yeah, I think like knowing I mental health help was uh, probably truly in 2014 uh, because I attempted to commit suicide for the first time in 2014 mm. and that was and I got put on the mental health hold and throughout all of that stay on the mental health hold I was in all these groups and talking to all these professionals and the only reason I was allowed um, out of the hold, well, I mean, they kept me on the hold for the normal 72 hours, but they, the hospital set up five appointments for me with a therapist. And so it was through that therapist where it was like, oh yeah, you're not, you're not kidding. I actually did need therapy because my, that therapist gave me homework mm. and through that it was just like yeah I don't deal with my emotions correctly and I blame others for my problems so that's something I still struggle with um, and I hate 
I really don't like blaming others for my problems anymore because now I'm old enough to own my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the real world only cuts you so much slack for having a mental illness because every time you make a mistake, uh, you can't just put your hands up and be like, oh my God, sorry, that was my uh, borderline half. Because that's not going to end up being accepted by work, places, and other people. Mm. But going back to when I was younger, about 18, is when I truly started to get mental health help. And then I pushed back against it, and I came back to going to therapy regularly um, when I switched to a university in Denver, Colorado, uh, and I saw someone there once a week, and he was super nice. Um, I didn't make a whole lot of progress with him, but it was really just nice getting to talk to someone privately for a week about stuff that stressed me out. Um, So it was like I've now been going consistently to therapy for over three years, I think. Uh, Yeah, so... I've just noticed mood improvement. I could have, I think, mood-wise, it would have been helpful for me to get help more regularly back in 2015 because I stopped in 2014. I went sporadically. Uh, I went through a court process when someone raped me, um, Hmm. and I didn't go back to therapy. Throughout all of that, I just powered through it alone. I was in a relationship, and I just was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I have pills and I have booze, which was not the right coping mechanism. And years later, that comes to bite me in the ass. So I'm now in my, I'm now 24. And I'm able to sit here and reflect on that and be like, yeah, I was a ghost of a human during this period. I was a ghost of a human that period. So in terms of my emotions just being wonky and out of place and me outbursting on people, I think some of the worst times were definitely from about age 17 to about age 22, because I've only noticed, like, huge leaps of progress since I've, uh, since I've actually been suspended from college and not gone back to that campus. Mm. So you think it's it's healthier and better for you to not be in college? Don't listen to her kids. Go to college. Get an education. <laughs> I, will, I will say go to college. Like, I'm actually one of those people who would say go to college. Uh, <laughs> but I would also say make a note of your mental health. Start off slow. Start off at a community college, part-time, work part-time if you're able to, mm. like, but I ranted up full force way too quickly for myself, and I burnt out, and I became a really mean person, and then 
I endured something that no one should. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. now I'm backtracking, but I'm still healing. Yeah, I kind of. Uh, when I was going through college, my first two years, I was trying to hide. I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this in the podcast at some other point, but I was trying to hide who I was, so I wasn't out as a, I wasn't an openly gay person. <laughs> but everyone knew. <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious. But, uh, so it, it was a lot on my mental health, like, um, and I've talked. I'm, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before. But it was like I was all of my grades um, uh, suffered a lot because I was trying to hide who I was and I wasn't taking care of myself in my mental health that way. Before I came out, I couldn't see a life for myself. And it wasn't until I came to terms with who I was and um, that I was able to focus on my future and, and actually do what I wanted to do or be who I wanted to be or who I was without any fear. So I think for any college student out there who's like struggling, I think uh, a, a good thing to do is to check your mental health and see if what you're doing is healthy in that regard, or if you need to change something to, um, to get you in a better state of being. I'm not sure. I would say, I would say utilize, um, um, the, the college counseling because, uh, it's usually free. Was it free? Did you, you went to the, the one on your campus alley, didn't you? Or did you go to like a, yeah, I, I utilized when I was at this university because I've been to community college and a university before. So, uh, I'm talking about the university. Because mm-hmm. the community college didn't have those services. The university that I went to, they had access to free counselor, free therapists, and free psychologists, or sorry, psychiatrists. So I would see a therapist, and he, after a couple of months, referred me to a psychiatrist just in case I wanted to try the med route. And so I did, and I really, really like my psychiatrist. I actually like her more than my therapist. Uh, but now since I don't go to that university, I see a different therapist, a different psychiatrist, and on top of it all, I see a psychiatrist, or uh, sorry, an art therapist. So I'm seeing a bunch of different professionals. Mm. Uh, so working on me is basically like, my big thing but yes when i was in college it was paid for in my student fees so because i was going on loans from fafsa it was essentially loans the government was paying for and i would just like make appointments and go in Mm -hmm. but that was only like at the university i went to that it was unlimited and free now, if you got medications, it had to be used by your outside insurance, and then it wasn't free. Um, mm. It would be like whatever cost after insurance. Um, so that was yeah. I remember. I don't even remember like being told about our 
the psych the psychologist on campus or anything about those services during like the um, orientation or through any process I didn't know about I didn't know that we had that service available to us I only knew that we had a local um, like what is it like it's not a hospital what is it called the mental no um, it's just like health center yeah health center mm. but I didn't really know about I no, I yeah, I I think therapist. I think another I think another student told me, or actually, actually, I think I think another student told me, or there was. I remember that there was a a classmate of mine that had like committed suicide, and then they uh, put up um, flyers saying that if you need to talk to anybody, that you could come to the counts counseling center. Mm. And I remember a lot of people being like, is that just for now? Or do we have a counseling center? Like, <laughs> you know, do we just set it up? <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. Maybe people just like ignore that stuff. And like, you know, I'm just, um, just going to deal with it. You know, it's fine. Even if it like triggers me a little bit, I'm just going to deal with it. But I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember them telling us about it, but I just remember, um, I did start noticing flyers about that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great resource because college can be very, um, stressful, especially between classes, social, um, I didn't really have a social life in college until everybody, everybody has a social life in college (laughs) because you talk to people. You didn't just talk to yourself. Did you? I was pretty kept to myself. I talked to myself. What? You guys weren't on like MySpace? You know, that, that's social too, you know? Let's talk a little bit more about your art, because I find that very interesting. Um, not just your art, but also, um, I, I, yeah, I also wanted to talk about um, your your therapy sessions. Um, and I, I, I know we didn't uh, talk about this previously, but I thought it was kind of interesting to to bring up because I know that other people have struggled with this too, and I, I know that uh, you you've kind of expressed to me about how. Uh, difficult it can be to find a, a therapist that you like and I've kind of told you about that too you know how I mean I don't I don't know it's just <laughs> I don't know if it's because I have BPD or something um maybe it is I don't um, know I'm convinced that's part of it <laughs> but I'm just like it's hard to find because you know if a therapist says you know what I, I remember I, t- I told Chris that uh one time I was talking to a therapist and I was just like, maybe I'm just lazy. And he said, yeah, well, maybe you are. And I was just like, oh, you know, just like, I don't, you know, maybe I am, but I don't want to hear that. You know, it's just like, they don't want to be like, well, you know, I think you, you told me something like a therapist says something to the effect of, well, what, you want me to tell you the opposite or that what you did was wrong? You know, just, you know, it's like, I'm kind of sort of, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you're the therapist. You should, I don't know. <laughs> but you, yeah, I know. I kind of like. Uh, what I love and hate about some therapists is how impartial of a party they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, I need a little bit of like a nudge in the right direction, but mm-hmm. I also don't want to be judged. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, am I doing my life right? Am I making these really awful mistakes? And the only time a therapist is truly, I've learned, going to stop you is if it comes down to, like, a safety issue for yourself or others. Mm-hmm. So, other than that, it's like, okay, if you're making impulsive decisions like I do, how is that affecting you? Okay, well, you're not dead. 
okay, you're not doing this to the point it harms yourself or you're gonna, you know, harm someone else. So there's, it's, I don't know, I don't want to be judged, but I also need a nudge towards something that's better. And what I like about my current therapist is he's part of the LGBTQ community, which you never, you just happen to stumble upon. I've had three male therapists, and the only, like, the best thing about all of those male therapists I've had, they were all either gay or transgender. And I love that because they can relate to the LGBTQIA plus half of me. That's a real mouthful. (laughs) Um, So it's very, very nice Mm -hmm. having that aspect right off the bat. But now I'm switching. So I get a change of therapist in two weeks. And I don't know, like, I know this person because she's run groups that I, group therapies I've gone to. And I've just not had, like, the most positive experiences with her, so I'm very hesitant towards it. I could put in a change of request, but we'll see. Um, But I also do have an art therapist to fall back on. And art therapy is basically just, it's a general talk therapy with a heavy art element I guess, AJ, tell me a little bit more about what you wanted to know about my art. I'm kind of trying to remember I just, what I've posted mm. all in Discord. Uh, oh, like, um, I think this morning, Chris, I was telling you, um, like, I get into these things where um, I'll start, like, being really excited about, like, writing. And I'll just start doing it, like, every day, like, just, just writing. Um, and then uh, one day I'll just finally realize, oh, my God this all sucks and I'll just like put it away and then move on to something else and I'm drawing and I'm drawing all day. I'm like, Oh gosh, this is so fun. This is so what? And then one day I'm just like, Oh God, I suck at this. I'm going to move on. <laughs> it, it like brings me joy. Um, but, and I, I don't know if you, um, experience anything uh, like that, but I know that your art does bring you, uh, joy when you draw, um, things relating to your mental health. I think the last thing that you drew was a, um, there was like a girl with the X over her mouth. Um, I know you did, um, I want to say some scenery. Oh, scenery? I think you, did you do scenery? (laughs) Oh, maybe that was me. I painted scenery, but in terms of sketching that, oof, that is not the, patience level I have um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember I think I think I've seen you do mostly people I want to say or body um yeah yeah like the, the body mm-hmm. or like the torso area just because I find that like the simpler part oh like the, the butterflies the um oh yeah and butterflies <laughs> also frankly I, I do love like nude girls because what's Let's be honest, nude women are fantastic in my opinion. You two, you guys that are gay may not think so, but (laughs) you are fantastic, and I will draw those to the day I die. (laughs) I can appreciate a nude woman's body. They're all right. (laughs) I mean, I I have one. So I draw what I know? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's wonderful, I guess. And uh, 
kind of what I like to see sometimes on occasion. I guess I can, I mean, everyone has breasts, right? You know what I mean? Everyone has a, yes. everyone has, for some reason I have nipples. So, you know, I, that's wonderful. <laughs> you can appreciate the similarities. Indeed. Um, I was, I was thinking can, earlier can when you guys were... nail drawing body? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember when I was younger, I did draw a lot of naked torso of men. <laughs> I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what intrigued me earlier when you guys were talking about um, how sometimes you'll leave things or you like to sketch because it it's not a complete... It, it can... It can be left as it is without feeling bad or without being criticized for it not being good because people can interpret it as a work in progress. Mm. Um, that kind of intrigued me as a concept of of your like people who have mental illness in your state of life. Like you know, you're always in a work in progress type of thing, right? I mean, that's how like when you go to therapy you know that's you being a work in progress with your own personal mental health right mm -hmm. um so I, it just i don't know does that make sense it intrigued me in that maybe your art was reflecting your your concept of of your lives or your state of being of, of being in a state of progress and then well, you in particular don't like to be. I know you definitely don't like to be criticized. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody does, but I. I think that. Well, I mean, yes, no, nobody likes to be criticized. <laughs> I don't think anybody's like for you. You like said you can take it really personally. Mm -hmm. or, um, well, I. I think that's because uh, your art becomes very, I guess, personal because it's more. Um, I don't know how Ali feels like. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know, but I, I kind of feel like my art is kind of a part, it's, it's kind of like a diary entry or something. It's like me, um, oh, yeah. like, like expressing myself. And then someone says, I don't like it. It's like, well, it's not for you anyway. How dare you? Why are you looking at my diary? Cause I shared it, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's just, it, and, and I think that's just how everything is. Every story that I write, everything is just so personal and I just can't make something that's just detached from me. So I just become, and I already have like this issue with emotions and I'm, I'm already emotional towards these things. So it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just complicated all those feelings, but um, I don't know, Allie, what do you, what do you think about that? What do you think about like um, criticize, um, criticism and like, like sharing your art and, and creating it from a personal place? Um, for me, I mean, I totally get how it would be like a diary, like it's, it's totally a diary entry. If I'm posting it online, um, like in a discord, mm -hmm. then it has a reason as to where I'm okay showing the world. Uh, as I said, I sometimes post it in progress. And sometimes I don't post it in its finality because I've decided to add an element to it that to me is so personal that if someone asks, I don't want to have to give an honest answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know if I've posted any of title of the Title Mango series in your Discord or not. What is it? My like, Title Nine. Oh, Title Nine. Title Nine. Girl series kind of like 
a hand and a hat pulling like over one of her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it Title Nine Girl Series. So, anyways, Title Nine Girl Series is probably one of the like closest things I have to a diary entry when it comes to um, my mental health stuff as it relates to my art. And I have like this series going on of her and Title Nine Girls Me and. In one of them, I have petals floating, and in another one, I have parts of her, like, fading. Um, In one, I have her being strangled by, like, a male's hand. So, Title IX is all about um, gender equality, and it was a process I went through after being sexually assaulted. So, it was... I just, like, decided to kind of start this series out of nowhere. I got this, like, burst of mania. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. And now I have, like, six or seven pieces of paper that are, like, what I'm currently calling Title IX Girls series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I blocked out some of the words when I posted it online or even texted it to friends because for now it's so personal. Mm. Um, and my art therapist, I was showing her, and she was like, holy shit, I'm so mad at this college for you. This is such bullshit. So, and then one of them, I have, like, a phone number for a sexual assault support line, and so it's just all these elements of me mm-hmm. about, like, a healing process from sexual assault, and so that's kind of what Title Nine Girl series is. But you can tell it's like the same girl throughout, despite you changing aspects of her. Oh, that's very interesting. That's really great. Um, you have mentioned to us before about the um, you have experienced, uh, of course, sexual trauma, and um, you, you wanted to highlight the difference between um, sexual assault. What was it the word? Right. Right. Studying some of this. In college, I was actually doing my undergraduate research on this before suspension. Mm. Um, and I took a class called Victim Advocacy for Survivors of Sexual Assault. And I went to the instructor and I was like, hey, I want to go into victim advocacy. Please override this course for me. I'm creating my own degree. This, you know, I kind of explained it all to her in the email and she overwrote course and let me, you know, basically skip um, an entry-level course to be in her course. Mm. I got 113% in that class, Ooh. and I was, it was an 8 a.m. course, and I lived like 45 minutes from campus drive time. I don't drive. I take, I took light rail. We call it light rail in Denver, oh, and uh, I got the class <laughs> on time every day. <laughs> Twice a week. Wow. Um, Anyways, so yes, I I can say I'm fairly knowledgeable about this topic, but I would say don't quote me on a lot of this. <laughs> um, so, the biggest distinction that I like to make with sexual assault and rape is sexual assault, rape is penetrative. Um, and that can be... Uh, 
vagina or a vagina to a penis, penis to vagina, uh, genitalia to genitalia, basically, whether that be in anus, vagina, penis, whatever, um, mouth, it is penetrative sex that is not consensual. Mm. So what we define as sex that's non-consensual is rape. That's the base, easiest definition to give of rape. Mm. Sexual assault is non-consensual. A good way to quickly describe it, I guess, would be non-consensual sex acts. Um, you know, we might have foreplay, but when it's non-consensual, um, you know, it's sexual assault is it's sexual assault with your um, even just like getting naked but not having sex, you know, maybe touching another person uh, while they're high or they're asleep mm-hmm. because they, they're in a state where they can't consent to that. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially, it's, they're not in a full awake state where they can consent. And so that's kind of where sexual assault lies. It's not penetrative. Mm-hmm. It's kind of everything but penetrative. Uh, that is against your consent. So both both elements have the non-consent piece, and I know for certain as of 2016, it could change. Uh, it could have changed. California is the only state in the U.S. to have an explicit difference when it comes to the criminal justice system. Hmm. of charging rape and sexual assault. Everywhere else, it is just sexual assault as an umbrella term. So when I tell people I was sexually assaulted on a college campus, everyone kind of jumps to the conclusion it was rape. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. Uh, For me, it wasn't. But I have been raped before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sexual assault can be just as traumatic, if not more traumatic, depending on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the circumstances for me on campus were fairly traumatic. I was in a place of campus that I felt safe because it was like my happiest place. It was like a hangout place with friends. So I was with someone I trusted mm-hmm. and I was free. So I was at that element of not being able to consent, but I was at this happy place and I knew someone else was around. And it was a cold wintry night. So uh, that was, I mean, it instantly was no consent when I was not fully awake and able to give that piece of consent. The person knew I was dating someone at the time. And as did like everyone that I interacted with on campus. I started the Title IX process. Um, a couple days after, about I mean, I told the I told the dean of students literally the very next day, but they did nothing. Mm. Um, and then I went to the mental hospital through Christmas of that year. That was twenty eighteen. But my thing is that like the healing process, it does not matter for whatever you've endured. 
it all sucks. Mm. Yeah. If it's against your consent, it is an equal level of shitty. And I can't relate to that level of shitty, but everyone's story is different. I will never 100% relate to another person's story, but I can. I can empathize and I can support, whether that be through a phone call, an email, a text. Um, and it's taken me a lot of personal work to get where I am to today. Mm. It's just like that particular time on campus, I have never been assaulted when I was asleep. So, yeah, that's it was, it added that, it added that element where I just wasn't like, I was like, shit. Um, and I wouldn't let myself go into denial mode despite wanting to. So that's like the other biggest thing with trauma in the aftermath is you want to go into denial mode. Mm -hmm. Um, but. And sometimes we can, if not for the rest of our lives. But because I was doing research on this, and because I know about this topic quite vastly, um, I stood in the bathroom at this campus, and I said, no, that that literally just did just happen to you. Um, It doesn't matter that you're a friend. It doesn't matter that you had makeup on and that your hair was curled, it doesn't matter. What matters is that happened to you. And that's like my other big thing to anyone who's ever survived and is listening to this. Like, if you've experienced sexual trauma, it is okay if you've gone into denial mode. Mm-hmm. Because there were days I went into denial mode. I sound strong right now and I sound strong describing that night. But that was because I literally had to be for that moment to continue to walk. Um, I still don't eat at a particular restaurant um, since the assault because I have that food that night. Um, There are certain things that are still triggering. It's it's a long process. Now it's 2018, and I haven't been in a relationship with anyone in over a year because it's more important that I heal than I get into a relationship with someone who may not be able to understand the trauma and especially the borderline personality disorder and the link of trauma to it. Mm. It brought up so many emotions, um, and the level of shame after sexual assault is uncanny. Mm-hmm. I cannot begin to describe all the shame of why this, why that, and wanting to bury yourself and harm your body. And so I decided to harm my body in terms of like my eating disorder became really, really bad. Like, I was starting into one, and I kind of already knew it. But this one became, like, after the assault, it became a serious thing. 
to multi-system organ failure and needing treatment. So, oh, um, do you, that is my advice. Do you feel like Get you, help. <laughs> do you feel like you still, um, it sounded like you, like you blamed yourself or, um, you blamed yourself a little bit about it for a little while and that's why you felt like you were in um denial or you're you're just like well I don't, I don't know exactly what was going through your mind but maybe it was like you know um did i did i invite it or you know like you know um something like something like that I'm, I'm just guessing but do you still have those those questions about you know um I don't know if you if you had done something different or if it was your fault. Do you still have those questions about it, or or are you um, able to like kind of uh, soothe that a little bit in, in in your mind? So what's really really nice now is that as the days go on, there is less shame, hmm. if none at all. Um, the denial of it, I, when it first, when it first happened and I was able to kind of leave the room for a moment before I had to, um, get back home at night, I didn't want myself shoving it down and like letting it go into denial because I'm, I'm just the type of person to won't let myself go into I didn't want myself to go into the denial mode because I, I can't preach and talk about advocacy, about sexual assault when I literally just experienced it. I'm not gonna be able to walk I knew I wasn't gonna be able to walk around campus the rest of the time if I didn't speak out. Mm-hmm. So I had to actively not let myself go into denial at first. Then once I spoke out that was time when my defense mechanism of denial needed to kick in. And that was just a survival tactic, but not even I noticed happened. Mm-hmm. Then after that, the, so you asked about the denial piece and then the shame piece. The shame piece is, it's so hard to describe, but it's like, you're just ashamed to have this body that someone else touched against your consent. I remember there was one night I literally like, this is, this is going to be graphic. So warning, uh, I took a razor and I literally was trying to cut off one of my nipples. Mm. Uh, mm. And I was like, I literally don't want this part of my body anymore because he touched it. And, I was literally just trying to cut it off me. And it's these times where it's like, I can still feel like where the hands were on me. And it's like, every year I don't need this. But the thing is, is that there's no timeline for it. Am I doing better now than I was back in this time last year? This time last year, it was a hot wreck. Um, now I'm sitting here telling people about it mm. and I am okay. Yeah. I go to therapy twice a week and I have fun. I get out, I do things. 
I don't spend a lot of money. I'm impulsive, but it's I'm working through my shit. Mm-hmm. It's not like the easiest getting through that shame piece. It's really, really hard to explain the shame of having the body that someone else touched against your consent. And it's different than like AJ if Chris like kisses you when you're half a half asleep and he's like leaving for work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like a natural thing of your marriage and you're like, Oh hey, bye babe for work. That's a thing. But when it's someone you know and it's literally just platonic and they know you're with someone else and they just decide that they have this into your body and you're like, why didn't I not allow them to have that cling to my body? Why me? I should have done this. I should have done that. And you just start to be ashamed of all the things you didn't do and all the things you could have done. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm glad that you're able to, you know, talk about what you've been through and, you know, I think, you know, it always helps to let other people know about these things because you can't really understand it unless you've, you know, been through it. Um, and. Well, I think the biggest, the hardest part too is conveying one's experiences to others so that they understand so that we can kind of eliminate um, a lot of misinformation or just um, uh, what's that word? Well, I think <laughs> like I think like um, what she said. Uh, what she said. If if you know, if you get anything from this episode, consent is <laughs> the biggest thing. Like, I think what you said about you know Chris kissing me when I'm half asleep. Would that be sexual assault if someone were to? Um, I guess kiss you when you're half asleep if it's just somebody is that is that sexual? Well, assault? she said. I mean, like she said, there's a difference between us because we already have. No, a no, I'm saying. I'm saying. Well, what if it's what if it's a stranger that kisses you when you're asleep? So that would be sexual assault. I mean, it's yeah. creepy when it's a stranger. Right. Yeah, but I'm saying. I'm saying. Of course, you don't want that to happen. But I mean, that that's not. You know, that's something that you're not consenting to. Somebody might think that that's a cute joke. You know, or somebody might just think, you know, whatever. You know, I've had, um, I've seen people at work that, uh, like, uh, walk up to, like, uh, um, women they're working, be like, oh, it's nice to see, you. like, I'm the, I'm the cheek or something without asking them. You know, and you know, you just kind of see that surprise face on the woman, just like, okay, you know, yeah. or just like th- those kind of interactions, like that's that's I, something I that's that nobody. Little- I think that's a little different and it, it everything's kind of it's not there's not a black and white line it's you know i think there's not it's very hmm. very great and the thing is is like that's well that's not the best example to give between like chris kissing you um goodbye for work mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to find like the right example because you also get into um, interpersonal violence, IPD for sure, where that's a different umbrella of sexual assault. When, say, um, it doesn't matter that you're in a relationship or marriage, someone can still sexually assault you, mm-hmm. even if you've given previous consent. 
So, again, consent is the overall important thing, if you ask me, of this episode. It's yeah. one of the biggest things to be hypervigilant of. It's one of the biggest things I'm hypervigilant of. Uh, I don't even hug my friends without asking permission first because a lot of my friends also struggle with PTSD or other things, and I don't know what might be going on in their head that day if they want physical touch or not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't want to hug. Sometimes I'll just wave goodbye. Um, So it can be just like a really good thing like to say bye to someone instead of physically touching them. It's not... If it's not sexual assault, like, if it's consensual in both minds and you speak about it, then great. I'm not saying, like, every little kiss has to be agreed upon. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, uh, yeah. established relationships and connections and, I think... Yeah, because there's this thing called affirmative consent. And that's... And affirmative consent's really tricky, if you ask me. Um, I'd have to look up the definition. But affirmative is basically, to my, to the best of my knowledge, don't quote me on this, is where it's, like, given, where it's, like, physically given, like, heck, yes, continue to kiss me. Like, arms wrapping around, like, taking off clothes, both people picking off. So, like, body language? It's, like, you know, it's, like, green, white typing, I guess, is the best way for hmm. me to describe it before turning this show into, like, a porno. Fucking <laughs> <Get> hot and <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of I'm interpreted it as... very sex positive. <laughs> the other thing that I've learned from all of my trauma is because of that chain half and because of the eating disorder half. Because I have all those insecurities about my body, yeah. both emotionally and physically, it's finding that place where I am okay with my body, I am comfortable with my body, and I can give consent for um, And honestly, want and mean that consent. Yeah. That's something... So, it, yeah. What you, it's very tricky. Yeah. Um, as, as we wrap up, I think one thing that I kind of stood out to me was when you mentioned about um kind of being mindful of other people and especially if you know you know if your friends uh have entrusted you with you know their experiences and things like that um to be mindful of our bodies and and our physical interactions i think oftentimes we go about the world without fully being con um cognitive about our physical interactions with people like you know sometimes i with certain people, I just kind of like I I expect a certain amount of physical interactions, like with like with Jamila, your sister, mm-hmm. you know, family members. I expect a certain amount of physical interactions, but maybe some people, well, you know, depending on their situation, may not want physical interactions all the time. Well, and, I I I just sort of think about I guess when I'm when I decide to hug somebody, sometimes like people put out their, their hands mm-hmm. or something and I just kind of like do the, the body language, like just open up my, right. my hands. And if they're like, no thanks, you know, just kind of at, you know, just kind of um, yeah. show, show them my palms. Like, <laughs> you know, that's how I kind of ask, you know, do you want me to hug you? Oh, I, so I, I am generally a hugger. 
know. Just like, no thanks. <laughs> but I mean, I, but I would totally understand. I mean, I think, I think, you know, anybody should understand if someone says, no thanks, I don't want to hug you. It could be for yeah. a lot of different reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, um, an OCD Maybe reason. Like I, I don't think how Howie Mandel is famous for not liking to shake people's hands and stuff, yeah. and people thought that he was ugly yeah. for a long time until they found out. Till he came out and said that he had OCD. So it's just you, you don't know. But it's just good to ask. You know, when in doubt, you know, ask or, you know, I, I think maybe you should just kind of use your use your judgment, I guess on. The kind of relationship that you have. Yeah. Well, there's also a lot of social, the, a lot of physical cues that you can get with interactions. You know, if somebody's a lot more um, relaxed with their body, or like if there's physical touch, even like brushing against, you know, a hand or a shoulder, something like mm -hmm. that, then I, I would think they would be more open to like a, a hug as a goodbye or something like that. And mm -hmm. these sort of things you can kind of learn as you get to know people too. You know, if somebody's not a hugger. <laughs> you'll get to know pretty soon in the relationship and yeah. you kind of know i have a, my friend willie yeah he's not a hugger <laughs> like <laughs> i've told you like whenever um i've given him a hug he always gives me the side shoulder hug and like a pat oh <laughs> <laughs> and so you know i think that's him going out of his way to allow me that physical contact mm -hmm. but like someone for example like alex or sam my sister's husband Sam, mm. is obviously yeah he's like a big bear hug yeah um con physical contact so i think as you get to know people you kind of get to know a lot of these um physical cues and what's uh what people are comfortable with and i think the big important thing is like to be mindful of those things just because you like physical touch or hugs doesn't mean that everybody does and as you get to know the people that are around you it's nice to be mindful and respectful about that so that you don't put people in uncomfortable situations. You put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. By <laughs> being turned down for a hug. <laughs> um, Ali, did we get to share? I don't, I don't think so. The, um, the contact that you oh, want to share? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The two things. Okay. Uh, yeah, we did already share that? No. no okay. Sure. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, have you been here? So, <laughs> yeah, after, after all this, like, heavy talk about sexual assault and mental illness in general, um, one of the resources that helped me the most was RAIN, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. In uh, their phone number, their hotline uh, is 1-800-656-4673. You can also log on to RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot org, that's two ends, uh, and they have an online chat room where you get a, like, fake name, and you can kind of just talk to other survivors who are in there, and it's moderated, and then you get put in with a professional, like, you just kind of wait in line in a chat room. It's very, very nice. Mm. I wouldn't be standing without that kind of support. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me directly, um, I'm more than happy to talk more about it or to even support you or listen to your stories. Anyone who's listening, whether it be mental health related or even just like frustrations with family, like deal with that. 
Um, but the email you can reach me through um, is T-I-X Survivors S-U-R-V-I-V-O-R-S at gmail.com Again, that's T-I-X Survivors at gmail.com And I think that about wraps it up. Okay. Right, AJ Chris? I'm gonna um put the the rain and then your um that was P I I as in India X pick uh, survivors pick a uh, pick P I X pick survivors right okay so I'll put that yep. in in the show notes and and on the the website when we post the the episode so it'll make it a little bit easier for people to get in contact with you and um and rain because those are good resources yeah. and Allie's fun to talk with I love talking with Allie in discord yeah if, if you guys are on discord or on Facebook we have we recently started a discord server I guess it's like a, a channel group. yeah and Facebook group yeah. so you can join those and uh, yeah on the, on the discord Allie had the good idea to make a uh, creativity channel where we share I need to put some of my my art on there but what people are working on. So I really encourage people to share their their art because, you know, Allie and I, and I guess Chris, think it's really good therapy and a really great way to express. Yeah, way. express. And even like just communicate. Like, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to say anything, you can just say it, you know, through art. So it's really powerful, really great. Yeah. Um, thank you, Allie, so much. Yeah, I posted about art therapy in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. just a podcast. Um, I learned how to crochet the other day. <laughs> Very, very hard. I don't know if I actually posted it there. <laughs> yeah, you did. If yeah. I haven't, it's very hard and it hurt my hand oh my so goodness. much. You, you need to wear a glove for the <laughs> intros. Any, pro, any crocheters out there listening, more power to you. I will stick to my knitting. <laughs> well, thank you, Allie, for coming on this episode. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, giving your insight, sharing your experiences. Um, I hope that a lot of other listeners, if, if you're listening for the first time or if you've experienced anything um, similar to Allie here with sexual trauma or, you know, a lot of, there's so many things, but if you're experiencing going through things, you know, it's okay to reach out for help um, and to know that things can get better and what you're going through is, is temporary. Um, and with some work, of course, with hard work, because nobody's saying that it's easy um, to get to a point where you can talk about things and feel comfortable expressing how you feel and things like that. Yeah. Um, but with hard work and um, some help, you can get through it um, and find a better, um, a better life for your for for yourself. And I think, like Ali was saying, um, a part of trauma is the. Um, denial part where you're um almost blaming yourself or or maybe not even um registering you know what what went on or um or blaming others or i mean just so many so many complicated feelings in that but the the way through it is um i don't I, I don't. I don't think it's to to get over it. I don't. I don't know if that sounds right to get over no. it, but to 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 <laughs> learn really, from it, to, really to take it with it. you. You know, it it's it's there. Yeah, you know, I would say that's like 
bordering um, victim blaming, but I would say, like, you, I was able to receive that okay because you were like, I'm not sure this is the right way to put it. Well, no, I'm, I was thinking, I was thinking about, I I think, like, what other people would, um, would say, you know, to get over it, sort of like, um, Chris, I think when we were listening to an NPR or something, the lady was talking about um, how her husband died and um, people were saying something about his his memory, like he was um, gone. I forgot exactly what they were saying. Of course, you don't remember because your memory sucks. You probably didn't even know what I'm talking about. But she, um, 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 I forgot what they were, they were saying to her about uh, about him being in the past. And she was just basically saying, you know, I hate when people say that because, you know, it's still he's still, you know, here with me. You know, it's still... He's not gone, you know. I think it was like get over it, you know. Or, um, I hope you're able to, I hope you're able to, to move on. That's what it was. I hope you're able to to move on. She's like, well, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to move on because you know it's still something that's a part of me, and um, I think that's what I was sort of thinking. Yeah. I would I would never tell someone just you know get over <laughs> it or move move on or because I don't think that's that's right. But I think that's what we sort of. Um, Think we we, we, we right. sort of might think to ourselves maybe when we think like, well, I want to get over this. I want to get over this and move on. You know, mm-hmm. I want to get over this and move on, but I don't think that's possible. It's just something that you have to carry with you and use to, you know, empower yourself and empower others right. and, and make you stronger. And that's how know. I, that's how, that's how I view kind of therapy. It's not a way to get like, um, get past it's it's learning how to move forward and why by carrying the the new weight that you you know that you have um with you learning how to be strong enough to carry that weight as you move forward in life Mm -hmm. carry the burdens so are we done here are we done one last thing before Oh God! Okay, Allie. Be like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna end on a positive note. Yes. Um, I saw something on Pinterest the other day that's kind of like stuck with me. Uh, it's really the only social media I use is Pinterest and Discord. <laughs> but it says hope, and it says, and underneath it, it says hold on, pain and. So that is my message to everyone at the end is that it's kind of why I'm still standing is because like um, some of my pain's ending, like that is for sure. Some of it has ended. I've had like darker days than what was yesterday, even though I cried yesterday, but I ha- it was because I held on. Mm-hmm. So hope, hold on, pain ends. Yep. You're still here. You're still around. That means that you can still fight. And, you know, there are always people that, you know, believe in you. If you feel like you can't find those people, then, I mean, you have Ali's contact. You have our contact. So, I mean, what are you doing with your life? You know, there are people. <laughs> I'm talking to the listeners, guys. <laughs> I was saying there are people out there that, that care about you. And, um, you know, there are ways to to keep hoping and to keep going. And so... I think this was a beautiful episode. Thank you again, Allie, um, for yeah. letting us pick your brain. You were great. You did wonderful. Sorry, we're not able to pay you for this appearance. 
<laughs> um, I'll make you some cookies. Yeah, no, it was a really, really tough flight to uh, the East Coast where I'm, just, you know, sitting in my bed in Colorado. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we're going to sign off. So let's all three say goodbye in three, two, one. Bye. Adios. Bye. Adios. See you later. Join us on our Discord channel and Facebook group to share memes, support each other, and influence the show. Visit BorderlineIdealist.com for our social links. And as always, thank you for all your support and love.